Welcome to Connecting Africa, a podcast series from Africa Tech Festival, where we'll be chatting to some of Africa's top thought leaders and startups about the hot topics in tech across the continent and beyond. I'm Paula, the editor of Connecting Africa, coming to you from Durban, South Africa, and helping me to make sense of it all are my two co-hosts from different parts of the continent. Hi, my name is Toby, co-founder of Venture for Africa, recording this from Accra, Ghana. And I'm Matebo, the associate editor of Connecting Africa, and I'm based in Johannesburg, South Africa. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the first episode in our new season of the Connecting Africa podcast. Today, we're talking about tech skills in Africa and the talent pipeline on the continent. Now, we know there's a strong demand for digital skills in sub-Saharan Africa, which, of course, is being driven by increased digitization and innovation in sectors like fintech, agriculture and healthcare, as well as the growth of the cloud computing market locally. Demand for digital skills is also expected to grow at a faster rate in Africa than in any other global market. But there's still this perception that there's a big gap in supply and demand when it comes to skill levels in Africa. So on this podcast, we talk about the challenges facing the tech industry in Africa when it comes to talent development, as well as the battle between startups and global giants when it comes to hiring and maintaining that talent. We give our opinions on how to better upskill the youth and bring education systems up to date with innovation. We also delve into the startup ecosystem and how it's evolving both on and off the continent, for better or for worse. Okay, so welcome everyone to season two of the Connecting Africa podcast. Um, We're finally back with a new episode for you guys. Uh, Toby's back with us, still um, living it up in Ghana. Um, Hey Toby, how's it going? Going well, going well. Glad to be back. Um, But yeah, nice one. Yeah, it's good good to have you back. It's been a while. Um, and then unfortunately, our friend Tien has moved on to greener pastures. Um, so we have a new co-host to introduce today, and that's Matsepo Sekloho, who is the new associate editor at Connecting Africa. So welcome, Matsepo. Thank you so much. It's good to be with you guys and excited about this whole new thing, this whole podcast. Yeah, so we've got a good season coming up. I think we're going to be talking to more startups and um, people doing interesting things on the continent, just like we did last season. But um, for this episode, we thought it'd be cool just to have the three of us chatting. Um, You can get to know us a bit better as well. Um, So today we want to kind of talk about the idea of Africa's tech talent pipeline um, and the skills, you know, skills development on the continent and what what Toby's um, calling the talent wars, which I like. (laughs) um kind of how that's all playing out on the continent so obviously we know i mean it's hard to say how many skills are needed but it's a lot right the continent um we need a lot more tech skills it's not only an africa thing it's a global global thing um but kind of yeah where where are we at the moment what are the issues toby what do you think like what's the main issues we're facing when it comes to skills for context obviously you know part of what i do every day is trying to connect startups to talent although we're focused on the senior side of the conversation i think we're still quite involved in what's going on around the space and even before i guess what i'm currently doing right now um i was sort of like involved in um you know looking for talents pretty much for earlier stage companies and earlier stage um opportunities and i think one of the key issues particularly on the continent is it's first a mismatch problem, right? And just a 
X doesn't necessarily correlate to Y. And what I mean by that is just because someone has graduated from a university doesn't mean that they're ready for the workforce. I think that's one of the big challenges that we've seen um, across the continent quite a lot, which is where you've then seen organizations like, you know, Microsoft and Google try to come up with these like after school programs or after graduation programs to upskill folks for relevant, um, you know, roles within the ecosystem. So I think that number one is if we're thinking about things on a very high level, that's what's going on. It's just that, you know, a lot of if you look at the tech ecosystem right now, a lot of people in the ecosystem, in my opinion, are self-taught. Right. So this is not a so whereas when you think of Silicon Valley, for example, like the reason why Silicon Valley, you know, is the place where things happen is because it's like a melting pot of talent, education, resources, all of these things. Right. And then, you know, we have if you look at, you know, a lot of startup teams, you know, as founders meeting themselves in college, you know, getting knowledge from these like very top schools and then going on to found companies. But then when you come to the continent, besides like major markets, like maybe Cape Town, maybe one or two universities here and there across the continent, uh, there isn't that high level of talent really coming through these like schools and networks. And so I think a lot of the investment has to then go into this after school programs that we're mentioning. But before I go too far, I think that's just one color um, or one side of, of this rubric cube, this Rubik's cube where it's that, um, there's just a mismatch in terms of what happens after graduation or even within schools and how people are not quite ready for what's uh, what we're seeing in the workforce. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, like, you think about it, are the universities even offering the right things? You know, do we have enough of the, the courses that people really need? People always love to say this thing, you know, that kids now are going to have jobs that don't even exist yet. But I mean, how do we how do we prepare them for that then if we don't know what it's going to be? I'm I'll allow you to jump in here, but I just wanted to mention here that I, I think it's also a thing of, um, you know, even the way education is done in most parts of, I guess, the country. It's like we're training, education needs to move from training people for like specific things and really just giving that foundation of how to even learn in the first place, um, which is why I think, you know, um, liberal education that goes on in America has been a bit successful because you're allowing people sort of like take a breath. Um, of knowledge and then converge on one thing whereas on the continent we kind of like follow the uk style of thing where you have to declare a major upfront like what do i know i want to do when i'm like 12 or 13 when i'm picking like <laughs> what i'm going to do in university yeah. right um but yeah Matthew, what are your thoughts here i think like um paula said is what what technology is ever changing mm. right and now um back then for you to get into the tech space a person needed to study computer science or whatever and that has evolved so um what are they actually studying now that equips them equips people to be um the talent that is required in these big spaces like are, are people are people learning how to code in use in university currently uh and if if so, which jobs are they then applying for that they're getting? You know, hmm. so I I think that the reason there's 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 such a lack of of talent is because it goes back to what are they being taught and 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 do they even have the experience to go into the job market and you know do what is required? It's also like a pretty big industry, so you can't be like oh learn tech skills and then it'll it'll yeah. apply to anything right there's so exactly. many different nuances if you want to learn particularly about cloud i mean that's like completely different to wanting to be in the mobile space or creating apps or apis or all of that kind of stuff so i mean as much as we can tell kids yeah you should study these things you know i guess they've got to choose what they want to go into exactly and also the reality is i guess not everyone's really got the aptitude to be in the tech industry um mm -hmm. 
Or do we have to make sure that all kids will have to be like that going forward? I don't know. That's just a thought I'm having. <laughs> like, what if we're still going to need other jobs, right? Yeah. But how many? How is it going to evolve that like even people who are whatever traditional jobs, it's going to become more tech related too, I guess. I mean, I guess even even our jobs, being a journalist never used to be this technical that we have to do so many things online and whatever, everything evolves, right? Uh, absolutely. And I think, you know, part of that is sort of like what I was saying earlier, where um, when we say tech, right, I think there's a tendency to think about the very technical things like the engineers or everything. But obviously, I think what we're speaking about is just yeah. this tech inclination that, that we still have in the space. And, you know, I think things are changing a bit because even the mode of delivering like classes and lectures and things like that. Um, COVID has sort of like forced a lot of people to honestly like COVID I feel is double sided in the sense that it's forced a lot of like traditional schools to then try to think about what it means to deliver a digital experience. But what we're then seeing is that people are just taking what's already existed in the physical and just try to dump that online. And that's not necessarily like the way forward, right? And so, um, and, and I think what we're speaking now is really the entry level stage of things where we're talking about, you know, what it's even like getting people into the pipeline in the first place. Um, and so, yeah, people say it's a pipeline problem um, and there are different ways to solve the pipeline. I'm of the perspective that this isn't really something you can entrepreneur your way out of. It almost feels like this is a government and policy conversation. If your government is only investing 5% of your GDP in education, there's only so much the private sector can do to change that or alter that significantly, right? So yes, you would have the Microsofts and Googles try to come in to supplement that, but they can't take over your entire country sort of like education system. So I feel like it's a broader conversation. And when we talk about the talent wars, when we talk about the talent wars, um, you know, it, I feel like it occurs a lot more in the technical system for some reason. Um, but I feel even in more traditional spaces, um, um, one story I like to tell is how growing up, bankers were people that studied banking, economics, and finance in school. But right now, you go into a bank and you find like doctors, engineers, and different sorts of people with different backgrounds within those spaces. Different reasons. Obviously, those spaces became quite lucrative early on and people were attracted to them regardless of what they studied. But even if you think of management consulting, the reason why people like McKinsey, Bain and all these guys have all these like graduate training programs is to accept and, you know, just to understand the fact that if we're only dealing with economists or finance people, we would never get the amount of talent that we need. And so they've opened it up and essentially set up their own training to get people ready. And I feel like that's what's maybe missing in the tech space where nobody is really ready to do that hard work as much as possible a lot of companies are trying um but maybe i'm curious about the journalism space like you know is there is there that sort of like graduate trainee thing that happens in that space and, and how has that been successful if you've sort of like worked with anyone that has come through that space as well in in in, in journalism i think um there's uh, journalists now have have had to also become tech savvy because um not only uh have we been competing with just ourselves and, and and getting stuff to print now we're competing with social media so i think that in order to for for, for journalists to get their skills sets up to a certain level they've had to um be become tech savvy become um you know um technologically inclined and like you said toby um covid did play a huge role because now people had to work from home and deliver stories from home you know and um I think I think I think in the space, uh, there's even though there's a lot of citizen journalists, but um, the, the 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 there's still tech journalists that are out there that are doing, creating content and delivering content that is uh, ethical. 
So I think that's that's what's happening. I think what we've seen now is, okay, everyone's saying we don't have enough talent in Africa. They're trying to train more people. Mm -hmm. But then on the other hand, you know, the talent that's here is being poached by big companies overseas. And now the case is like, you don't have to move to America to actually, you know, work for Microsoft or whatever. They're starting to hire people that are working remotely because it kind of happened during the pandemic, right? Mm -hmm. So what Mm -hmm. does that do to our local ecosystems of startups who are trying to hire like good engineers and good you know, programmers and, and all the other things that go with it, mm. um, when they kind of probably can't afford to pay in dollars in the same way that these these big corporates can, right? Yeah. I, and I think this is where, like, you know, I feel like there's a certain narrative out there, which is very true, right? So, and you've just touched on it, which is the fact that, you know, we have like a talent, uh, a talent, a, a sort of like scarcity of talents that is high quality. And for those that eventually break into that high quality barrier, COVID has also accelerated the fact that people from outside, like, you know, global, the global West, you know, is then able to outsource some of the things that they do to folks, you know, here on the continent. Um, some guys have taken it a step further. And, you know, if you look at immigration trends and everything, I think obviously like the talent of any um, ecosystem or economy is really the lifeblood of it. And so immigration is one way that a lot of these like Western societies are attracting talents from the continent because uh, they can offer, obviously, better services, better life and things like that. Uh, but where I like to think about it as well is just looking at maybe a market that is a bit similar to us, which is India. Um, and I feel like India went through the same cycles of, I don't know, the same, same amount of people or in terms of like having a lot of people, a lot of young talents. But there's also a lot of talent exploitation going on. Uh, but somehow India yeah, sure. India has still been able to whatever like maybe it will have been much better than it is now but India is not necessarily in a bad place when it comes to talents both home and abroad because if you think about a lot of Nigerian banks for example when they first started a lot of their banking um, systems were outsourced to be built by you know India and sort of like tech tech um, garages or tech hubs in that sense and so you know I- India is both exporting and importing their talents in different ways either physically or building tech for other countries in that sense and so um, I'm wondering how have they done it? It's like, what have they done differently where for Africa, the challenges are a bit different, um, which is now we're seeing obviously Africans building things for other spaces, but we're still having a very big issue figuring things out on the continent uh, because of that. But I guess it's different. Okay, India obviously is a huge country, but it is just one country. So it's got mm-hmm. like one set of policies and all of that. Whereas we're talking mm-hmm. about, you know, mm-hmm. a lot more countries and 52. maybe yeah. they're wanting to stand out differently. And there's there's a little bit of like a battle of who's going to be like the Silicon Valley of Africa, right? That's fair. I know with, with yeah. Kenya calling themselves Silicon Savannah. Um, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because, um, Matthew, were you going to say something? Um, I was, I was, I think also what would, what would get like, a lot of African countries and specific South Africa's, I think it's it's, it's policy changes, you know. Mm. I think um, there's a lot of red tape that 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 is stopping a lot of maybe startups from hiring because there's like things like the basic minimum wage mm. and things like that. So I think I think that um, there needs to be a basic um, minimum wage that is okay for say like a small startup that can hire somebody with the skills that they need so that they can work but not necessarily maybe on like a permanent basis i think that that will get more people onto the workforce and you know working Mm. yeah and i was like reading something about how people these days like are likely to have two jobs you know or to Mm -hmm. have like a job and a side hustle or maybe another side hustle and that is kind of more more what young people are doing and obviously we know africa is so young Mm -hmm. you know and the continent's only getting younger by the day but i guess that's kind of a positive thing in a way because it's um 
you know, we, well, we're hoping young people are more tech savvy than old people, right? So they'll be able to pick up on all these skills more easily. Exactly. Or do you think exactly. that's just a fallacy? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, 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 but back to the point about sort of like talent exploitation and things like that. I think from, from my perspective, I think what we can't fight it. Um, right. Um, and you can't sort of like outspend it either. So I guess mm. what the solution is, is finding a way to make it work for you instead right is where i think the balance sort of lies which is what you know part of what we're trying to do as venture for africa for example is create a pathway back for folks both off the continent uh, but also on the continent but in different industries so tech suffers from this thing where obviously because um like you've mentioned um, i think well, the tech startups are a lot, a lot younger um so maybe not in south africa but in other markets tech startups are usually like an easier co- point of call for people getting their first roles because obviously they can't pay as much. A big corporate is not willing to give a young person a chance, but a startup mm-hmm. needs that talent and maybe can't pay as much, but, you know, it's something to do. And so, you know, it, it is a pipeline to get folks, you know, into the space. But, you know, the challenge really is then there's now sort of like a lack of experienced talent as well. So it's not even a thing about talent, but also experienced talent to really take you to the next level because you can't afford to pay those kind of guys. Um, and so, you know, I think the problem now or the pathway that maybe it needs to be created or people need to start focusing on is, okay, yes, let's let these people go out, go to different countries, go outside the continent and get trained. But how are we potentially trying to create a pipeline back, you know, into the ecosystem? Uh, because we, we do realize a lot of folks say spend two, three years, four years in Google and they're looking for something new, right? And looking for something challenging. Why isn't that something challenging, something back home uh, where you can then bring your networks and your expertise and then start to sort of like, you know, retrain whoever is on ground that doesn't necessarily have the ability to make that leap that you've made. Um, so I feel like that's where we're not really focusing a lot more of for whatever reasons. Um, maybe it's because obviously if it's different African countries, different people have different mindsets about what it means to come back home and all of those kinds of things um but yeah that just wanted to throw that point in there as to besides entry-level talents i think on the senior side there's also that um challenge and maybe it's worth creating and looking at peers where we can create pathways back you know into the continent yeah that's a really good point and also it just made me think like even if we train let's say a million people this year then they all at the same level right Mm -hmm. so then you've got that same level going through and it's almost that like middle middle section that we're missing we've got this like high talent we've got a lot of entry-level people but that middle section is just going to take quite a few years right mm-hmm. before we get to the point where it's a million people every year or whatever i'm just making up an amount yeah yeah but um yeah that's an interesting one too um the other thing that we we've kind of noticed or i don't know i have lately is um a lot of these startups are starting to move their headquarters off Africa's shores actually Mm -hmm. right so a couple of people I've interviewed lately it's like headquartered in UK or headquartered in the US they still have staff in Africa so like that's an interesting one to me like Toby what are you seeing in the markets like in West Africa also like why are they doing that and is it a good thing or a bad thing I don't know um so the answer is like they're following the money one one answer is they're they're following the money right (laughs) so it's like you know if your investors are seated in the UK the US and all these places um, at some point, at at, at, a sp- at a stage of growth for your startup, 
is le- like there's the execution side, but you also have to be in front of your investors and trying to raise as much money for the next stage as possible, right? And African markets and the stock exchange markets here, besides South Africa, which is the exception, are not as capitalized, right, as at this, at this other markets. And so it's tougher to raise funding on the continent. Um, there's less credibility a lot of times if you're speaking to investors off the continent and you're here. And so a lot of what, what is happening is a lot of founders and exec teams are sort of like setting up base and setting up shop elsewhere, but obviously operations and their markets are still here on the continent. So that's like one reason. I think the second reason is uh, it's it's a bit undersold at the moment, but also like people are trying to find a better life for themselves and, you know, set up their families elsewhere. And, you know, for example, the UK rolled out this global talent uh, visa thing, which has helped a lot of tech people, uh, you know, move and, you know, get on it path towards long-term residency in, in places like the UK and everything else. And so there's also that that sort of like pressure or pull that is getting people off the continent. But obviously like people are still building. The reason why they're able to move on the global talent visa is because they have things going on here because that's one of the requirements, right? And so I think it's also physically just trying to create a better life for yourself. But on a more technical level, it gets you closer to the investors, gets you closer to sort of like where you can get investments into your business, right? Um, so I think that those are the two reasons I think that's happening. But how are then um, those those companies that are serving African markets yeah. and requiring African skills, but then if like the founders and the people are moving away, isn't isn't how are you going to solve Africa Africa's problems when you're not in Africa? Basically, you know what I mean. Yeah. That's... So it's like for me, it becomes like problematic that oh, um, I'm, I want to solve a South African, an African problem, but then I'm moving to the UK because I want. A better life for myself so it's yeah it, it doesn't it upsets me a bit yeah <laughs> no no you've raised you, yeah. you, you you've raised a valid <laughs> you've raised a very valid, valid question <laughs> because and i think only time will sort of like tell um sort of like if mm-hmm. if this is a pathway forward um because yeah a, a lot of founders are based in those markets now but again their teams the major part of their teams are still here and a lot of them are shuffling back and forth right so um, accessing the funds, you know, in those yeah. markets and then coming back on the ground to solve problems, using their networks out there to really, like, attract attention to what's going on on the continent. So, you know, some there's a camp that will argue that that's, that's one way we have to do things as well, and we can't completely ignore that as a pipeline for both, like, funds and talent and networks. And so, yeah, I think the mm-hmm. idea is just of, is how like how realistic is it that you're going to build a successful company if you're sort of like shuttling between two markets and things like that. But the other argument is that you look at corporations like Shell and all these guys, you know, headquarters elsewhere, but they've also built up local teams, right, that are doing these things, but are still sort of connected to corporates in that sense. And so maybe this is another version of that where startup are building their corporate HQs like off the continent, but they're still like building solid teams on the ground and making things happen. So... Kind of what a couple of startups I've spoken to lately um, seems almost like people have gone away to study, maybe at your, you know, your big, um, beautiful universities overseas, mm-hmm. um, or they've gone to work for the Googles and whatever's of the world, mm-hmm. and then they come home and they either find a problem that they, you know, something they couldn't, they could do overseas that they can't do here, be like e-commerce or whatever, yeah, um, or yeah, like a lot of people actually coming home, but then maybe. It's quite difficult for them, I guess, in a way, because now you you sort of like this global person, right? Mm-hmm. You're used to living overseas, you're used to living at home, you're kind of this mix. So then maybe that's why they do it that way. They'll start something up locally, but then they still live absolutely um, abroad. But I, I mean, I get what you're saying about the the funding. That does make sense. Like you got to be close to your funders if you're going and pitching people all the time, trying to make money. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah, it's an interesting one. <laughs> yeah. So like like and like an answer to anecdotes here is that so one of my friends obviously moved to to um or went to Stanford to study. So it's weird because okay, he went to MIT first, uh, and then decided he wanted to take the entrepreneurial so part. Fancy. <laughs> I wanted to take the <laughs> fancy friends to be had. I wanted to take the entrepreneurial part, but even like trying to do entrepreneurship in MIT is quite different than trying to do it in Stanford. And he had to move to Stanford. Um, and then he's like, you know, in Stanford, you can walk into a coffee shop and bump into like an investor that is willing to write you a check of, you know, X amounts. Like that's not possible or mm-hmm. it's not more likely in places like MIT, even if it's in the US, right? Now, not to talk less of, you know, what's going on on the continent. But the other thing I was going to mention is that if you look at the generation of, and I'm using Nigeria as an example here, um, the first bunch of startups um, that started to gain sort of like a bit of global attention, if you looked at a typical founder profile, it was what we call sort of like diaspora, you know, coming back home. So, you know, grew up in Nigeria for mm. a bit, went to study, probably worked in like Microsoft or Google, like you've mentioned, off the, um, out of the continent. And then obviously ambitious folks like that always are looking for problems to solve. And the kind of problems you might be faced with solving in the UK or in the US are very different from what's going on back home. So a lot of them come back with their networks, with their experience, with their exposure and start to start up, you know, teams, right? So I feel like Nigeria has sort of like gone from there into the next phase, which is where local founders started to get enough recognition as well. Uh, and now we're in this weird phase where local founders are then going now overseas because they have the ability to to, to then build up those networks. So God knows what the next phase is like, but um, it's something to pay attention to and just, you know, be aware of that's happening. Like you rightly pointed out, Paula. Yeah, very interesting. I guess, I want, yeah, you wonder what that next phase is going to be, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but wonder. but like you've mentioned as well, like it's different. In, it, it occurs differently in different markets because I feel like the tone in South Africa is it's a bit different. I I don't think that I don't know. Maybe you guys tell me what's going on on the ground in terms of the startup ecosystem. Are you seeing South African founders as well making similar moves, or is South Africa sort of like close enough to what they might be looking for in other Western markets, and they're so they're able to stay home and build a bit differently. Because from my perspective, whenever I, I speak to South African founders, like the vibe I get is very different, um, you know, and they're always a lot more like South Africa focused and we're building here. Whereas other startups across the continent are thinking multi-markets, usually from, you know, day one or day two in that sense. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. I think the cliche is that South Africa is like the gateway to Africa, right? People see it like that, that if you start in South Africa, you can like start spreading across. But actually, in reality, I think it's <laughs> it can be quite different. But Zebra, you've actually interviewed quite a few South African startups lately. What's your, your view on that? Yeah, um, I think that... For me, the, the the startups that I've spoken to, it's 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 they they're they're here in South Africa and 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 a building and a name for for themselves in South Africa first. And when I've asked them about expanding into other African countries, they say that they want to create um, uh, solutions for those countries because a solution for South Africa might not necessarily be work in Botswana or in Namibia, you know? So um, the ones that most of them that I've spoken to are actually um, staying in South Africa and and um, working in this market and perfecting that before they move forward. Mm. So, yeah. I think it depends on what kind of um, solutions they're bringing to the market too, right? Mm. Um, yes. If you're talking about like big uh, remittance solutions, you want that to go to more than one country, right? You want it to be able yes. to be across and like fintech things i think to your to your question toby i think yeah in a way a lot of the south african startups maybe feel like from here they have access to a lot more things but 
I think you also are seeing that to some extent, like having some offices in New York or in London and people going back and forth mm. um, like that. It, it kind of depends. It's interesting, actually, I've been speaking more to, to startups in West Africa lately and, and East Africa than I have <laughs> at home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so then one other thing I was kind of thinking about, you've got all these big tech players like your Googles and your your Amazons mm. um, starting up, you know, saying they're going to spend a billion dollars. They're going to bring all the skills development. But are they doing that because they want to hire all the talent at the end of it anyway? Or is it going to actually be going into the market? You know, are people are they going to be these trained people to do other things? Or is it going to just be all consumed by the big players? It's an interesting one. And I think, you know, for me, Amazon or Google or Microsoft coming in to train people to do stuff, you know, with them. I think it all depends on if they're training to solve like specific low level problems and just that, or if they're really trying to upskill folks, because if they're trying to upskill folks properly to really like rise within the ranks within those companies as well, then we can have the similar effect of people that spend three, four or five years in Google and then are able to like exist because obviously they want to do a bit more and then they move into startups and things like that or move into entrepreneurship. So that that's the positive case. The, the, the flip side is um, if, you know, Microsoft training or Google training or Amazon training are really just training folks to solve their own very, very specific problems and specific needs in their businesses um, and not necessarily creating a pathway for folks to, to rise as much, maybe they will make pathways for people to rise in terms of how much they get paid because it's easier to do that but in terms of level of skills and level of authority that they then have within those companies if that sort of like transition isn't following through um that that could that could be a very different dynamic way than just have this problem we're facing where there's just a lot of people that know how to do like a very bunch of specific things in specific companies but aren't necessarily like well grown mm -hmm. and well developed enough to then exit those companies and begin to add value to the ecosystem as a whole um, so that, that that's, that's the other part, right? Because you have people like MasterCard, you know, certain ambitious goals of training like 3 million youths or something in the next like 10 years or whatnot. And, you know, what yeah. I feel like that incentivizes very interesting types of things where people are setting up programs to train the numbers. Like let's train 10,000 people. Let's do train 100,000 people. But, you know, there isn't a lot of follow through going on. And that's a problem because then you feel that, oh, yes, we've thrown a lot of money at this problem. We've trained two million people. But it's like, what is that follow through progress like? Um, and, you know, is it actually benefiting? Is it net positive? And I think, again, like we said, a lot. The problem really is there's not enough of data to really see what has worked and what hasn't. Africa is just always usually yeah. this place where you're testing things out and just see how things go, like throwing spaghetti on a wall. Um, but nobody's really sometimes it feels like nobody's paying attention to. Um, what are the after effects of some of these things and policies and things that are coming up, right? Um, but And yeah, just just questions that are on my mind really when I'm thinking about and hearing news about all of these things. Yeah, it's true because like everyone wants the announcements like, oh, we're going to do this. We're going to train this many people. We're going to spend this much money. Mm. But you're so right. Like where are the stats for how it's worked? How many people have actually benefited? And like, yeah, is it super basic like digital skills, which is awesome. People mm. need those. Or is it like real, you know, hectic cloud computing you know courses and all sorts of things yeah that yeah. they're doing right yeah because because again i don't know if i don't know if it feels like an african thing but you know do we see similar programs like this being set up in other places like how if you scale back to silicon valley or india for example or china for example like was it was the way the ecosystems were, were developed was it by you know, doing all this million people training programs or something like, I don't know, because it feels like every time you hear um, large digital skills programs, a 
always has an Africa twist to it. So I don't know. <laughs> what do I, I, what do we think about that? Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I think that um, I think that these 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 companies coming in and like you said, it's like throwing spaghetti on a wall, and then they come and then they say they've trained these people. My thing is, if you look at the stats, like the unemployment rates in South Africa, it's like for me, it's just like lip service because <laughs> then the the the, the employment unemployment is still very high so who who are they training and where is it and you know can we see okay we've trained these people these are the people now this is what they're doing Mm. we haven't i personally haven't seen that yeah 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 and you wonder like is it going to come down the pipeline or is it i mean even when when stories come through to me right if if it's like we're going to train a thousand people ten thousand people a million people cool but they're like we're going to train ten people I'm like, okay, that's nice, but is that really (laughs) enough? What are we doing? Um, I do think like, obviously everyone sees Africa and they see this huge potential, Mm -hmm. right? They see this gap that they can fill. Um, So I think that's kind of the view of of the outside world. It's like, oh, there's so much leapfrogging that can happen. There's so much X, Y, Z. Um, But it's a really good point you made, Toby. Mm -hmm. Like, how did other countries build up their sort of like tech ecosystems and their tech forces? Um, and if it worked better a different way, why don't we do that? Yeah. Or on the flip side, like in Africa, we like to solve things our own ways. Mm. You know what I mean? Like mm. sometimes other people's ways don't work for us. Yeah. So maybe it's good to do it a different way for us. Yeah, um, exactly. So I don't know. I mean, <laughs> that's, that's maybe a question that the listeners can figure out for themselves or they can write into us and tell us yeah, what they think. Exactly. Tweet us. <laughs> and, you know, it's funny because yeah. obviously this episode really right now, we're really, again, just raising questions more than trying to provide answers. Like, because this is just uh, an issue that we're facing from different sides. Um, something that you mentioned, you know, sparked another thought in my head, which is this idea of leapfrogging. And I always mm-hmm. use a very interesting telecoms example, which is, so we look at Nigeria, let me take Nigeria, for example, where... Um, you know, we started off with landlines, um, but then we skipped sort of like that deliv- delivering sort of like, you know, um, landlines to homes and, you know, direct to home sort of like connections. And we went straight to GSM. Right. And obviously everybody said we leapfrogged and that's great. Like, you know, we didn't have to waste all those resources and whatnot. Um, but then fiber, which is like the next level. A lot of other countries, the way their fiber skilled was that there were already just existing lines that you developed for the regular connection from back then. And so you're just laying fiber into the same networks and being able to deliver those a faster connection through the same pipe pipe like pathway to the homes. But then, you know, what we yeah. what we see happening in Nigeria a lot of times to deliver fiber is that you're you're digging roads, you're having to like do that construction that you didn't do before because you skipped and went straight to like GSM and all of those things. And now we're kinda like it's it's slowed down a bit of the growth from my perspective or from the outside looking in. Um I know whenever you want to install fiber in a place, there's a lot of like, you know, paperwork you have to do, a lot of so many things to go that slow you down a bit. And so leapfrogging is great, but not everything in my opinion needs to be leapfrogged is the point I'm trying to make. And if we then connect this back to talent, it's it's that, you know, if we can't just like skip this level of not getting government institutions and education generally as a whole to a better place where people don't feel like they're just going to school for four years just to get the certificate and then you then have to start training yourself for the roles that are in the ecosystem because schools are not revising their curriculums i'm pretty sure if i went back to my university now they're doing the exact same things 
um, that I did. Mm -hmm. And the things that I did were also backdated. I remember in my second year in school, we had a programming class and we were learning Fortran, which is like this very ancient thing that nobody really uses anymore. Yes, it set up the foundations for me to understand how programming works, but it was just very weird, um, right? And now, so yeah, let me just leave the point there. Leapfrogging is not always, for my, in my opinion, sort of like the way to go because sometimes you still have to have those structures to really help you scale um, whatever it is that you're looking at down the line. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if you're leapfrogging too much, then what, what you're doing is creating a new gap, a new like digital divide, right? Mm -hmm. Of like whatever's mm -hmm. been missed in between. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I actually agree with you on that one. I mean, leapfrogging is, is such a like a cliche also <laughs> of what they always talk about Africa, right? Yeah. <laughs> All the buzzwords, All the buzzwords and the cliches. Yeah, it's, it always comes to us. I think also for for me to get like the skill sets of people, I, I think it, it has to start, everybody has to play a role. Mm. I think that uh, the schools, you know, what, what is taught in the school, what 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 programs are, and policies are set up by governments, everybody needs to, spare, to play a role so that we are not relying on outsiders coming in to give us uh, the skills, you know? If everybody plays a role and then they, they they commit to include everybody in the digital space, you know, for whether it's the government, the schools, and even individuals, I think we, we might get to a point where we are in par, like with other countries mm. and, 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 and continents out there. Well, I think maybe yeah. we'll, we'll leave it there for today unless you guys have any more um, burning questions or, or brilliant ideas that you've come <laughs> up with. No, I think I, I think we're good. I think obviously like what we've touched on really in, in summary is obviously like identifying the different areas where we think there's, I guess, a war of talent going on, just the nuances be behind that. Either it's, you know, the skills gap uh, between when people graduate from school and getting into the workforce or the middle management challenge of, you know, having all these training, all these entry level folks, but then there being a gap in that middle level management or immigration policies from Western countries attracting talent. Um, and obviously, you know, can we create a world where there's a pipeline back into those places? Um, and obviously we talked also about founders, you know, moving into these places and what that means for the ecosystem as a whole. Um, but obviously I don't think the talent war conversation is one that can really get wrapped up in an hour conversation. I think, again, like we said, this was just to raise questions about what's going on and just get people thinking about different ways to approach things. And maybe when you see that new policy that plans to train like a million people in 10 years or whatnot, um, you can dig deeper mm -hmm. and try and find out, you know, if really that's the way forward. Um, or, or what else might be a better use of those resources in terms of training and developing talent. Nice. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think that's, yeah, you summed it up perfectly, Toby. Um, we're not here to answer all the questions, but we um, hope everyone enjoyed listening to our thoughts on this and maybe it sparked a few ideas for you. Um, yeah, so we hope you enjoyed the, the podcast. Um, you can find all our previous episodes um, on all your favorite podcast platforms and we'll be having new episodes that are going to be dropping in the coming weeks. Um, so you can expect more interviews with different uh, startup founders, with angel investors and, and interesting personalities in the tech and telecoms industry. And if you want to find out more about the latest news um, about Africa's tech ecosystem, you can go to connectingafrica.com. We'll catch you on the next one.